you guys can turn your Bibles to Psalm 25, please. I'm going to pray for our time and we'll get started here. Let's pray. God, we're just so um, blown away. We're so grateful that we get to weekly, every few days, just open up your word and study it and see what you have to say to us. We're so grateful that you've given us so much depth in your word. You've given us so much meat for us to chew on, so much for us to think about and ruminate on and to digest. And we just thank you for um, your grace to us, not just that you saved us, but that you want to shepherd us, that you want to guide us, that you want to lead us. We thank you for um, being that kind of God for us. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to be in Psalm chapter 25. So go ahead and turn there. And we were in what passage last Sunday, remember? The Bible. Did someone say the Bible? What passage was it last week? Psalm 23. Yes, someone remembered. I'm so glad. Uh, So we're looking at Psalm 25 um, today. And this also is a psalm written by David. I'm going to talk for a little bit. You'll have some discussion at your tables in a moment. And we'll do some more discussion later on as we go. So David's life is in complete and utter chaos in Psalm 25. We don't really know why. It might be because of what happened with his son Absalom. Remember the story a few weeks ago? We talked about Absalom, his son. So Absalom is David's son. Absalom raped his sister, Tamar, David's daughter. And then Amnon, David's son, got mad at Absalom. He, he, well, I'm sorry, let me rephrase this. Amnon raped the sister. Absalom killed Amnon, okay? So Amnon's no more. Then Absalom tries to usurp the throne in Israel. And then uh, as a result of that, David's in distress. David has to flee Jerusalem because Absalom's men are after him. And so we don't know if David's life is in chaos because of this situation. We don't know if it's because of maybe it's a situation where David was with Bathsheba and he committed adultery. You may know that story as well. We don't know why David's life is in chaos, but this might explain why Psalm 25 seems so scattered. Psalm 25, when I first read it, I thought, Man, how am I going to teach this? This is like just topic after topic after topic, and it doesn't seem to flow that well. And so David's Psalm 25 might be scattered because David's life is possibly scattered. His life is a little bit in chaos as he's writing this. And I think you can relate to this, that whenever your life is in chaos, scattered, a scattered life leads to scattered thoughts. One minute you're thinking one thing, and next minute you're thinking something else. And so David's just, he's writing. And some scholars will say, of course, that this, this, book, this particular chapter is also an acrostic. You know what an acrostic is, right? Where it's the letter A, the letter B, the letter C, and it's like each verse starts with a different Hebrew letter in the alphabet. That might also explain why it seems kind of random. Uh, but this is a scattered psalm, I think, partly because David's life is a bit scattered as he writes it. And we're going to see this pattern when David writes this. Many psalms David writes, he just says things like, God, deliver me from my enemies. And that's, and that's the gist of what he says throughout the whole psalm. I love this psalm because he says, God, deliver me. But he also says things like, God, forgive me. He goes between God, deliver me, to God, forgive me. God, deliver me, to God, forgive me. And this is really important because sometimes... You and I, we cry out, God, deliver me, 
But we forget that it might be our sin that got us there, right? It, it might be our sin, our own depravity that put us in the situation where we're saying to God, God, deliver me from what's happening around me. And so as we cry out, God, deliver me, we also have to cry out, God, forgive me sometimes. So because this psalm is scattered, we're going to talk, I want to give you sort of like an outline here so you can follow it along since it seems a little bit scattered. So the big question that um, I think we're wrestling with this morning is how does God guide us? How does God guide us? In our world today, many Christians would just ask the question, okay, what's God's will for my life? How can I know God's will? And so last week we talked about God being a shepherd. We said a shepherd is, is you know, God is shepherd, he guides us. And so this week we're going we're to see how he actually goes about guiding us in our life. And so many of us ask the question, you know, what's, what is God's will for my life? Anyone here ever thought about that question? Like, what is God's will for my future life? You've all asked that question. And how am I going to know that will? And most of the time we think of God's will being decisions, you know, like college, who am I going to marry, career, these big questions of life. And so we're going to see this morning how it's a lot more than that when it comes to God guiding us. And so um, there's a quote I want to read to you because I think it's by John Piper. And I think uh, it's amazing how many of us, when we think about the question, how does God guide us? When we think of that question, many of us um, think of that question, how does God guide us? And it's amazing how many Christians, how many Christians want God's salvation, but we don't want God's guidance. We want his salvation. We want his forgiveness, but we don't want his actual imprint on our life, his actual guidance and him leading us down the way. So here's a quote by John Piper. He says, the Christ of the Bible is an authoritative advisor as well as an atoning savior. So if we try to receive him as an atoning savior and reject him as an authoritative advisor, all we receive is an imaginary Christ while rejecting the Christ of the Bible. So you got a few questions up on the screen here. I want to put some uh, these questions on the screen here. And uh, I want you to, at your tables, discuss these two questions here starting off. Go ahead and discuss. I'll read these to you so you can see them here. First question, this psalm is all about God guiding us. We might use the term God's will today. When people think of God's will for their lives, what kinds of issues are they normally talking about? And the second question is, we said that some people want God's salvation, but not his guidance. How common do you think that is among Christians? And what are some ways they may live that out? All right, let's look at the verses of Psalm 25, and we'll take these sort of section by section. So look at Psalm 25, looking at verses uh, just 1 through 3, starting off. And in this first section, you're going to see David expressing trust to God in this first section that we're going to look at, verses uh, 1 to 3. Let's read that together. David writes, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are, and everyone say it together, wantonly treacherous. 
Don't you love that? I, I love the ESV translation. It's so weird. But anybody have any, what that means, wantonly? Okay, your goal this week is to insert that phrase into a conversation at least once a day. Okay, can we all agree to that? Make a commitment. Find a way with your parents, your friends, just like throw it out. Just throw it out into a conversation. See what someone says. All right? That's your challenge for the week. Uh, so this first, in verse 1, David says, David says in verse 1, he says, I lift up my soul. And I love when you read phrases like that because you're like, well, what does that really mean exactly? So if you look at what this word, what this phrase means, I lift up my soul, what David is referring to, he's saying, I direct my desires. I direct my desires towards you. I think that's interesting because most of us, we think of desire, we just think of, we just have desires. We just have desires and we either choose to live them out or not live them out. But David is saying, I direct my desires towards you. So what he's saying to us is that desire is something that can be directed towards God. And so David says, I lift up my soul to the Lord. In verse 2 he says, he says, in you I trust. Now the word trust is a word that most of us think, yeah, I know what that means. But when you look at what trust really means, what trust means, to trust someone or something is to accept a truth against the evidence to accept something is true even without evidence. So the essence of following God, the essence of following Jesus means that you trust him. It means you that means that you put your life in his hands in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the evidence. And so when someone challenges you um, in your faith to trust him is to put your trust and faith in him in spite of what you see, in spite of what the evidence may indicate. And so the question is going to be, you know, for us as we're living out your life with Christ, are you, will you be someone who follows Jesus even when the circumstances of your life say you should do otherwise? Even when it seems to go against the grain of the evidence that you might have presented to you, whether it's circumstantial in family or in school, or whether it's even getting into like science and those kind of, will you trust him? Will you trust him? And so David expresses trust to God here in this passage. Then verse 4, look at verse 4. And this is where David is crying out for God's guidance in verse 4. He says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. We said earlier in this talk that if you, um, some of us want God's salvation, but not his guidance. And that's a false God. It's a false Jesus. If you want God's salvation, his forgiveness, but not his actual guidance, his imprint on your life, where it actually affects things, that's a false God. You have split God in two and just taken the things that you want from him and left the things that you don't want from him. That's a false God. It's a false idol. And so David here is saying, God, teach me your paths. Teach me to know your ways. Lead me in your truth and teach me. He is wanting God. He is wanting all of God. He is wanting God to imprint something on his life where it actually affects things in his life. A mark of a true Christian is someone who wants God to guide them. And they actually seek it out. They actually go to God. They go to other believers and say, I want to know 
I want to know the truth. I want to know the way. I want to know um, the ways of God. They want to know how this book impacts every single decision that they're going to make. They want to know how this, the God of this, of this book, how it impacts every aspect of their life. I always feel kind of strange telling stories like this. Uh, I told my wife, I said, these are the kind of stories I can tell down here, but not up in the main service, because that'd just get awkward. Uh, but the, it was last Sunday, I was at the back of the church, and it was after the first service. I'm walking out, and I hear, feel a little tap on my shoulder, and there's this couple, older couple, that probably in their maybe early 50s, I guess, and they're engaged to be married. And they said, hey, um, we want to know if you could marry us next Friday. Like, this is like two days ago. Friday's two days ago. And my first thought was, like, okay, hey, okay, um, let's talk about that. Like, next Friday? That's, that's like, hey, do you want to do lunch next? That's like a question you normally get. Let's do lunch next Friday, right? That's a normal question. But not, can you do my wedding next Friday? I don't even know your name. What's your name again? It was just an awkward situation. And I said, well, you know, have you guys gone through the process at TBC? Of, and they're like, well, yeah, you know, Gary has talked to us, and he said, yeah, he would do our wedding if, if he was going to be in town. He's going to be out of town, though, so he can't do the wedding. I said, let me talk about that with him. And I got their number. I went and asked Gary. I was like, Gary, I got this couple asking. He's like, he's like yeah, like they've been living together for, like, months, and it's not a good situation. I told them they can't get married unless they do it the right way. And I'm going, oh, that's the story, okay? And so... Um, so they're not, I, I didn't do the wedding on Friday. I don't know who did, but I didn't do it. And when, when people come to our church and they ask us to marry them or do a wedding, we've got a process we take them through because we're not, we're not some Las Vegas wedding chapel. Like we don't do that. Like we're, we don't just do weddings here. We actually disciple people. That's our job. And so if someone says, do my wedding, we're going to say, okay, this is a, this is a, opportunity for discipleship. And so what we're going to do is we're going to meet with them. We're going to say, okay, let's talk about your hopefully lack of a sex life right now. And let's talk about that. And how are we doing there? And are y'all living together? Are y'all doing this the right way? And we're going to put you in a premarital class for a few weeks and walk with you through what it means to be married. Because we believe that a Christian is someone who really wants God to guide them and lead them and teach them. Not just put a little stamp of approval on, okay, you're married, congratulations. But it should impact, it should lead to discipleship, being impacted by what you read in this book. You can't go to God and say, God, give me your salvation, give me your forgiveness, but I'll choose to live whatever the heck way I want to live. You, you can't do that. You can't, you can't divide God like that. You can't split God and say, God, I'll take this, but I'll leave that. That's not the mark of what it means to be a believer. And so we cannot claim to believe in Christ, but then reject what he commands. If you and I claim Christ as Savior, but leave everything else behind, his obedience, obedience is not some optional menu item. You guys will go to lunch today. You're going to have lots of options on the menu. Obedience is not some optional thing. Like, I'll have this, 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 and this. But obedience, let's leave that on the buffet. 
I don't want much of that. And so obedience is not some optional menu item. Look at verse 6. This is where we see David wants God's forgiveness. He says in verse 6, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. He says, do not remember the sins of my youth. Remember here means to act on. Most of us think of remember as just I forgot or I remembered. That's not, how it, that's not what that word means whenever we're talking about God in the Bible because God doesn't forget anything. But what it means, though, is God, do not act on the sins of my youth. And everyone agrees, right, that we all do stupid things in our youth, right? Everyone's done that. I mean, you guys are still in that state, so you know, you know this is true. I was trying to think of uh, an example last night with my wife. I was trying to think of an example of, I said, Courtney, what's something dumb that I've done in my youth? And I already told the story about smacking the magazine out of her hand, right? I told that story a while, several times, so I can't tell that one. But trying to think of, of examples, and I still make dumb mistakes as in my youth. But he says, remember not, notice he says, remember not the sins of my youth. He doesn't say, remember not the mistakes or the errors. Most of the time, we don't like that word sin. What I love here is that David owns his sin. He calls them sins. He didn't call them mistakes or errors. Now, um, I know in our culture, it's, the word sin is not really a popular word to use. But people like to use the word mistake or errors. They say, to err is what? human. To err is human. So it's their way of saying, yeah, everyone, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone commits errors. No, an error is what you do in a baseball game. An error is a mistake on your math test, which is not a sin, even though your parents might say otherwise. Right? But those are errors. Those are mistakes. Those are not necessarily sins. Sin is a whole different concept. Sin implies I am guilty before holy God. I am guilty before a holy God. That's a whole different level of ownership. And so David is owning his sin here. He's saying, remember, remember not the sins of my youth. Now the sins, when most of us think of sins of youth, most of us think of something crazy and outlandish. Like, you know, when I was younger, here's what I did, and it was crazy. Can't believe I did that. But in my situation... When I was at your stage of life, the sins of my youth were not the crazy, outlandish, let's go party, let's go do this, let's go do that. The sins of my youth were things like pride, self-righteousness, arrogance, thinking that I was, if someone said, do you believe in the grace of God? I would say, yeah, yeah, of course, we're all saved by grace. But the way I lived my life was in such a way where I thought that I earned my salvation. I was self-righteous. I was, I was prideful. I was arrogant. I spoke harshly to people that were different than me. And so the sins of your youth may not be just something wild and crazy. It might be what I described, what I experience even today. It might be just the way that you see people, the way you judge people, the way that you look at people. That also could be considered one of the sins of our youth. And so what I love about this passage is that David understands a very profound truth. And here's the truth I want you to write down. 
Before, you, before we seek God's guidance, we must seek His forgiveness. Before you and I seek His guidance, we must seek His forgiveness. They come as a package deal. You can't separate those things. I want to tell you another story that happened this, this past week that was really encouraging to me. There's, there's kind of like two stories I want to tell, and they both were contrast to each other. But this week, on, it was on, a, I think it was Wednesday, I get a phone call, and this guy called the church. He was a real soft-spoken guy. It was hard to even hear the guy. And he said, yeah, I want to get baptized. I said, okay. And I started, my first reaction was, well, I'll just tell him, like, you know, yeah, we do baptism, and usually in the summer, and it's usually like here and here. And then I'm like, wait a second. This guy wants to get baptized. Like, let's, let's have a conversation about that, not just tell him when it is and sign up whenever it, it, it comes on the calendar. So I said, hey, why don't you come in tomorrow? Come in Thursday. We'll meet in my office, and we'll talk about it. This 19-year-old kid. So I go to the church at 1.30 on Thursday, and the guy's at my office already. He walks in, begins to tell me his story. Begins to share how um, he, he kind of came to church when he was younger, but not really, and he, he really got far away from even being around the church, around Christian people. He wasn't a believer. He said that uh, he was bullied at school, like all the way through, had no friends, even his own family. His own father would basically say horrible things to him. And as he sat in my office and just shared his story, it was amazing because I'm hearing this guy that, that at 19 should be just totally embittered and totally just, I want nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with God. But he sat there and he, and he said, you know, I, I've just been coming here for about two months now back to TBC and I want to give my life to Christ. And I want to get baptized. I was like, this is awesome. This is really cool. And so I just took him through a few little verses in Romans to explain to him the gospel. And I said, do you understand this? Are you getting this? Is this new information to you? He said, yes, this, this is new to me. I took him to Romans 6.23 where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I said, so you and I deserve death, spiritual and physical death. But the gift of God, the gift, this is free, we're owed, it's a wage, we are owed death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Do you understand that? Do you get that? Do you want that? And he said, yes, I want that. And he said, so he sat there in my office on Thursday afternoon, and I'm not a big, I don't believe that you can say this magic prayer to become a Christian, but I did say, if you're saying you believe this, then confess it to God. Romans 10, 9, and 10, confess it to him. If you want to do it right now, go ahead. He sat in my office and prayed and told God what he told me that he believed about God. And I was just kind of filled with all kinds of emotions and tears. Like, this is, this is incredible. And what stuck out to me about, about this man's story, as he shared it, was that he was saying things to me like, I want to become a Christian, but I want, to, I want God to, inf- I want to have the influence of God in my life. I want to have God lead me. I want the church to lead me. I want to have it change my life. And this is a person that gets it, who really, truly gets it. So you and I can't take his forgiveness and just reject his guidance. We cannot do that if you want to call yourself a Christian. Let's go ahead and do uh, two more questions here at your tables. First, uh, questions three and four, and it says, In verse four, David describes life with God as a path or a way. How is this more than just saying we believe a set of historical facts about Jesus? 
We said that before we seek God's guidance, we must seek his forgiveness. Why do you think these two things have to come as a package deal? Go ahead and discuss your tables. Okay, I'm going to have to hurry through the rest of this because uh, so we can go to breakouts in a moment. So look with me at verse 8. Verse 8, Psalm 25. So David says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And the main point I want you to see from this part of the passage is that God's guidance flows out of God's character. So the ways and the pathways that David's talking about, as God's guiding him, this always is going to flow out of who God is, his goodness. So the first thing David says in verse 8, he says, good and upright is the Lord. And if... I know most of us, when we think of the, the concept of praise, most of us think of that as some like abstract concept. Like, yeah, I, I know we come, we, we worship song, we do worship songs, we sing praises. But praise is basically telling God how good he is. And so he's saying back to God, he's saying, good and upright are you, Lord. And he's just saying to God, like what, what he thinks about God and how good God is. That's what praise is. It's very simple. And I know whenever we think of praise, we think of it as some like abstract concept. What does that really mean exactly? But I know that, that you know what praise is because when you post a new selfie on social media, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Praise. That's praise. And I love that because... You know, many of you, I'm not saying it's just the ladies, it's also the dudes, but um, when you post your little selfie and you go back to it over and over and over again and see how many likes you have and see who commented, and some of y'all are just hilarious because you post your little selfie and then your friends are like, oh my goodness, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, and then you're like, you you wait for a few comments and you're like, oh y'all are just too nice, stop it, stop it, stop it. That's what you were wanting to happen. Right? We're not fooled. Like You can't fool us, right? We know what you're looking for. And here's what happens. You have all your little friends out there that they, they have to say something because you know, you'll have this little deal worked out where when they post their selfie, you're going to say something to them. And then you're going to post your selfie. They're going to say, it's just a little transaction that goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right? See, I'm on to you people. I know these things. But you're looking for praise. You're looking for praise. And praise is basically saying to God how good he is, saying to God how wonderful he is, saying to God how incredible he is. And this is what uh, David's getting at in this, in this passage. And so, um, so many of you know what praise is. You just may not know what it means to praise him. You may not know what it means to praise him. 
And the reason why I think praise is so important, you might ask the question, well, why do we have to praise God? I mean, God knows how good he is. God's not insecure like us. He didn't need affirmation from us. Like, why does God need us to praise him? Well, I'm going to put forth to you this idea that us praising God is not for God. It's for us. We've got to be reminded of how good he is because every sin that you and I commit, go ahead and write this down, every sin that you and I commit results from doubting God's goodness. And when you and I go to God and tell him how good he is, it's a reminder to you, reminder to you of, of, of how good and faithful and wonderful and loving he really is. And so David's reminding himself about this truth because so he'll stay on the path. He'll stay on the path. When you look down at verse, uh, look, look at verse 12. Skip to verse 12. And the main point I want you to see from this part of the passage is that God guides those who fear him. I'm, I'm going to skip over the Isaiah uh, 55 passage there at the back. Verse 12, it says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. And what he is communicating in this passage is that God guides those. God guides a certain kind of person, and it's the kind of person that fears him. It's the kind of person that reveres him, the kind of person that's in awe of him. And this is the kind of person that God guides. You cannot separate, I love this, this phrase, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. You cannot separate friendship with God from fear of God. You can't separate those things. I know that you don't think of fear as being a part of your friendship, and it's normally not, unless you have weird friends, crazy friends. But fearing God, to revere him, to be in awe of him, this is part of being what it means to be friends with God. And so what's this entire passage about? It boils down to this big question, and it's how does God guide us? How does he lead us? How does he show us? How does he teach us? And David's wrestling with this question. And again, you and I might ask the question, what is God's will for my life? And I want to close with this quote from uh, John Piper. He says this. He says, the quest for God's guidance is the quest for holiness. Not in ecstatic heights, but in spiritual depth. I'm not going to explain that quote. It's going to be your job to explain it to your leader in a moment in your breakout rooms. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, um, for the, like the third time in a month, we are trying to get our student rosters like up to date. And so we're going to dismiss you guys to your breakouts here in a moment. I want my leaders to grab the discussion sheet. I'm going to challenge you to find like, don't go through all seven questions, but Maybe pick three or four for your breakouts. Uh, discussion sheets are over there. Grab uh, some of those little blue cards and then grab your class roster there. And you guys check it at the end, the class roster. If anything is inaccurate, please fill out a new card for any students that that applies to. You guys can go to your breakouts right now. If you're new and don't know where to go, you head down that hallway and find the room with your grade and gender on that. Upperclassmen guys typically meet in the theater room just beyond that wall. <laughs>